lovely sense of the Lord in the house this evening. I have three short readings for you. The first is just one verse, and it's in Exodus 27 and verse 1. Exodus 27 and verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar of sittim wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad, and the altar shall be four square. Notice the word. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Eight now, and just a couple of verses, let your eye run down to verse 15, Exodus 28, verse 15, and thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work, after the work of the ephod thou shalt make it of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twined linen, thou shalt make it. Four square it shall be, being doubled, a span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. And our third reading then is in the first book of Kings, First Kings chapter 18, please. First Kings chapter 18. And again, let your eye run down and keep your Bible open at this reading. Let your eye run down to verse 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. That was broken down. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now to take your own word and apply it to our hearts to glorify your name. Help these lips of clay to speak well of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And Father, stir us up. Stir up the heart that already loves you and knows you. And stir up a heart that maybe has not yet come to saving faith in you. Draw them to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that salvation would come to this house and that the Spirit of the Lord who is here would move sovereignly in our midst and that the Son of God would be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name and we ask it for his glory, giving you thanks for everything. Amen. Repairing the altar of the four square gospel, part two. And I'll give you a little recap because it's important of part one. It's important for where we want to go when we go into part two. We looked at how in a a terrible condition that our nation is in, especially the West in general, but Britain and the United States, allegedly Christian nations, allegedly Um, God-fearing nations built on the Word of God have apostatized before God. They have allowed the heathen to come in and they have allowed the heathen to strip our nation down 
of every Christian value that ever our nation held so dear. And the name of Jesus is blasphemed and the name of Jesus has become a byword and a curse word and a swear word. And the commandments of the Lord no longer should be or can be adhered to according to those who are put in government in our nations and especially in the United Kingdom. And we find that there is nothing but secularism and communism and all the isms that we don't want except for Christianity. That is the biblical Christianity, reformed faith. And we are, we're told it's cast out and it's sent away and put away. The altar that was in our land, that was in our nation, has been systematically destroyed by men and women who have come to power in government. And it's also been systematically destroyed, purposely destroyed by men in high church places who no longer want to come to the altar of the cross, who no longer believe in preaching the cross, nor preaching the book, nor preaching the blood, and they no longer believe it is necessary to tell people of a heaven and a hell, nor necessary to tell people of a judgment to come, nor necessary to tell people they are a sinner before Almighty God, and they must be born again. They have stripped our nation of everything that our nation was built upon. Fortunately, in church circles, they've also stripped our nation of the Holy Ghost. Speak about the Holy Ghost. Talk about the Holy Ghost. Even pray so-called to the Holy Ghost. But they have stripped the moving, the belief, the gifts and the power of the Holy Ghost out of the church and out of their lives. The altar in our nation has been systematically and deliberately torn down and it is no longer recognizable as the altar of the Lord. We looked in part one how Elijah before the prophets of Baal Can you imagine those prophets there, they're building their altar, cutting themselves, jumping upon it, calling on their God, their false God that is, and they're they're crying unto him or them or whoever they believe in, trying as it were to, to muster up, to stir up something that God would answer by fire. But of course, they, they didn't have a real God. It was a false God. Uh, and Elijah, he starts to, to make jest with them. You know, maybe your God is on a holiday. And maybe your God is taking a break. Maybe your God is sleeping. But Elijah knew that the God of Israel, the living God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and later on to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that that God whom Elijah loved and whom Elijah is named after Yah is my God. He was the living God, the real God, the true God, and he would come and answer by fire. Elijah was assured of this because Elijah knew his God. And you know what's wrong in many of us in the church even today, or church circles, or if I could put it into brackets, churchianity, the one for a better word. They want ritual and ceremony and sacrifice and all these sort of things, but they don't want the Holy Ghost. They don't really believe in the living God that he answers by fire, that he comes in power and in glory 
and still moves that way today in the year 2013. God is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. That's what he says. He is the God with whom there is no variableness and neither shadow of turning. Our God is alive this evening. Our God is here this evening. Our God is in our midst this evening. The Holy Spirit lives in every true born again heart this evening. The Holy Spirit is moving in our meeting this evening. The Holy Ghost is turning or, or stirring up our hearts this evening. The Holy Ghost will convict of sin this evening. The Holy Ghost will heal bodies and touch lives. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's not changed. You change. I change. Society changes. Our nation changes. Cast out the things of God. But the Lord God says, I am the same. He is the one and the self-same, self-existing God. He who is eternal and everlasting God is in this meeting tonight. Praise his holy name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here we have this altar that Elijah stands before was the altar of the Lord, we're told. Now you see, Israel had separated into two kingdoms. Elijah is sent to Ahab and Jezebel, the Zidonian witch, who was his wife. And they're sent to Samaria, which was the capital city. And he comes prophesying the word of the Lord unto, Jeze- or unto Ahab. And Ahab was there with his wife, and his old wife gets her hackles up and hates Elijah. And Elijah comes down with 450 prophets of Baal. And they're building their altar and they're jumping upon it. And, and, and he's watching this and he's making jests at them. Then he starts, we're told, and Elijah, he repairs the altar of the Lord for it was broken down. Now we went into this in detail in part one. You'd have to get a CD or download it if you want to get it all. But let me give you a brief rundown for it's important for the altar that must be built in Britain. The altar that must be built in the UK. The altar must be built in the United States or Canada or in the West in general. This altar must be built in any nation that wants to do well on the face of the earth. Sickness is everywhere and sin is everywhere and disease is everywhere and drug addiction and alcoholism and wars and famine and men are trying to move around all their help and their aid and that's fine and God bless them. But the real need of that people, the real need of our people, the real need of the R is this, to rebuild the altar of God in our nation and God will sort it out. God says that when a person, when a people or when a nation put him first and honor him, then them that honor me, I will honor them. We are a nation who has torn down and broken down the altar. In our third reading here, 1 Kings 18 verse 30 says, He, Elijah, repaired the altar of the Lord and was broken down. This is the ten-tribe northern kingdom known as Israel. The southern kingdom became known as Judah. And now in Israel, he's, he's going to an altar there that was used to worship the Lord. 
you see, their multiculturalism came in, and so they started bringing their heathen idols and their little deities and their wee statues and started worshipping their relics and their Babylonian worship, and we have it even in church systems today. And they're starting to worship and bow down before these things, and as they're doing it, they're systematically, stone by stone, bit by bit, they're tearing down the altar of the Lord. Elijah is sent by Almighty God and we're told that he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Briefly, the word broken down, it's the word harass, harass. And it also means to be utterly overthrown and it also means to be destroyed. Gives the idea that this wasn't wear and tear. These were great big stones that were set up. Great big stones that wouldn't move. Great big stones. Look, we see, we, we see the ruins of castles today. And ancient houses and, and burial grounds. And the stones are still there. Elijah went and found that the altar was utterly overthrown. In other words, all that belonged to the living God was cast out. And that's why Ahab and his wicked queen wife Jezebel had the nation. Elijah comes and starts to lift the stone, 12 stones, one for every tribe, sets it into place, starts to repair it. The word here, harass, for broken down, we looked at it also, Exodus 23, verse 24. The Lord says to Israel, when they were to go into the land of Canaan, he says, look, you're my people. And since you're my people, this is what I expect from you. Now notice what he says. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and break down their images. See, when you go there, Israel, you're not to be transformed or conformed to that world. You're not to be conformed to their idols, conformed to their worship, but rather you're to go and to utterly overthrow all the wicked works of the devil. Go in and have dominion. Go in and take control. Go in and be in charge, he says. And utterly overthrow them. It's the word here, harass. He says, you're my people. He says, now go and do as I say. Oh, they do it for a period of time until all the enemy comes in and starts to ply the ear and twist the scripture and start to tear systematically, uh, stone by stone, and cast them away as far as one can be from the other, that they would destroy the altar of the Lord. But this one man, filled with the Holy Ghost, with the call of God in his life, starts to repair the altar of the Lord that was broken down. You see, the altar was a central place. It was like one day in seven, now, we worship God who are, uh, who are saved, who are born again. We worship him every day. But God set apart one day in seven that all would congregate together to give that day to God and keep it sanctified and separate and holy. In other words, that one day a week was for the nation to come together. You can worship God any day, but the Lord's day is his day when everyone comes together. And it gives the idea that you're coming together as living or lively stones, building up the temple of God together for the Holy Ghost to move in. 
And God says, set that day apart for me. Come together. Here we had it that everyone was being scattered. And the altar was the place to bring them together. Now, if we can destroy that, we can destroy a nation. As you know, my father's in hospital. And I went two weeks ago, walked through the town up to the hospital. And I've, last time I was in the town on a Sunday, I was there preaching in Corn Market. Belfast, that is. I call Belfast the town. Keep forgetting myself. And I walked through Corn Market and up through, and the town was busier than on a Saturday. The place was packed. You see, you know what they done? They systematically started to tear down the altar. That's why some of the churches are empty today. It doesn't matter about a Sunday, does it not? But that's why the cinemas are full on a Sunday night. That's why the sports arenas are full on a Sunday night. Because systematically they tore down the day that God called his living and lively stones together to set themselves as a sweet-smelling savor and a sacrifice unto him. And they systematically and they purposely destroyed the Lord's day. They cast it away. You see, if we destroy the altar, God says, or or they said, if we can destroy God's altar, then we'll destroy a nation. And our nation is destroyed because of men who have destroyed the altar of the Lord. What does it take but an Elijah company? The spirit of Elijah in the church. The spirit of Elijah and men and women, that is the Holy Spirit, to come together to believe God for miracles, to believe God for signs and for wonders, to believe God that when he speaks, things will happen, to believe God when we build the altar and throw ourselves upon it as living sacrifices unto God, that God will answer from heaven by Holy Ghost fire. That's what our nation needs tonight. Elijah's in the ecclesia of God to build the altar of the Lord without fear or favor. Political correctness, pastor. Preacher, you're not politically correct. I don't care. I'm publicly correct. I'm not PC. I'm BC. Bible correct. That's what's wrong. Christians are afraid. They're hiding behind the prophets of Baal. They're cowering down to the works of the devil. And the Lord said, Israel, when thou movest forward, he says, utterly overthrow, harass, or take down every idol, everything that stands in my place, everything that stands in my way. He says, everything that occupies my throne on your heart, take it down, Israel. He says, and watch me bless you. And oh, if we were to do as that old prophet said, the greatest idol I have known 
whate'er that idol be. Help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. What a difference in our life and in our nation we would see. Here we have Israel instead of breaking down and utterly overthrowing or destroying all the works of the enemy. Instead of Israel doing what God has said, instead of Israel destroying and utterly overthrowing, breaking down the ungodly heathen practice, and instead of them staying consecrated, separated, holy, set apart and sanctified for God, to God and before God, and instead of them acting as though they are And because they are God's called, God's elect, and God's sons and daughters, instead of taking the mantle, instead of taking the anointing, and instead of taking the word, and saying, the Lord hath said it, and we will do it. What did they do? They allowed the enemy to overcome them. Instead of Israel going into the land and overthrowing and defeating the enemy, destroying all the works of the devil, Instead of Israel utterly overthrowing all the principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Instead of them breaking down all idols and altars and enemy strongholds, they allowed the enemy to break down the altar of the Lord. Where are we now, church? Where are we now? Where are we? That we're allowing godless, evil, demonic men and women Tell us what to do before God. Here, they did not take their dominion, but they let the devil have dominion over them. How about from tonight we say, devil, no more. Thus far, no further. We must repair the altar of the four-square gospel as Elijah did, that which has been torn down, even in church circles, the moving, the power, the gifts, the, uh, the graces, uh, the fruit of the Holy Ghost. Start bringing it into the meetings and into the church and see the power of God move again like he did in days gone by. Listen, we, say, we talk about revivals and we talk about uh, uh, healing campaigns and we talk about people getting up out of wheelchairs. We talk about people getting healed of cancers. Listen, God's still doing it. Just because you haven't seen it and I haven't seen it doesn't mean to say God's not doing it. He is because he's the same. I believe him. I believe him. I just don't believe in him. I believe him. The four square gospel is that cry that went forth. Jesus, savior. Jesus, healer. Jesus, baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, the soon coming King. I believe it all. <laughs> I believe it all, brothers and sisters. Here, Elijah repairs the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The word repair, very, very important. The word repair is a, is a Hebrew word, rafa. It gives the idea to heal something. It gives the idea to something to be full of health or to keep in health. It gives the idea that Elijah, he came and he wanted healing for the nation, the house of Israel, the northern kingdom. 
He wanted them healed before God, healed of their sins, who were sacrificed on the altar. But Elijah knew that the word Rapha was, if I can heal here, healing in every aspect will come to this land. Do you know what the greatest altar that ever there was? There was a lone man hanging on a cross. And he bore our sin. And he bore our shame. And he bore our iniquities. And he bore our sicknesses and our diseases. And bringing the preaching of the cross, the benefits of the cross, and the glories of the cross, and the blood of the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, bringing that altar into the church, into the preaching of the word, and into our nation again, there will be healing in Jesus' name. He will bring it back to our nation and to our peoples. Listen to this. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I wrote this from an old Hebrew scribe or scholar. Listen to what he says on the word repaired, rafa, or heal, or to heal. It means he restored the altar knowing that restored favor of God would be in the restoring of the altar. Can you imagine when we get really into the word and say, Lord, this is what your word says. And no matter what we face and the trials that come our way and the things that try and put us off, stop us and block us, we are going to trust in the blood of your son. And we're going to trust in the cross of Christ. And we're going to believe not just that you have forgiven me, that I am righteous in your sight, not that you have just cleansed me from all my sin, but that you have borne all my sicknesses in your body. That's the idea. And the favor of God flows from Emmanuel's veins. Oh, the favor of God is in the forgiveness of sin. The Lord willing, I'm going to show you something different in a minute. Yes, that's part of it. But that's not all of it. Let's not live beneath our means for Christ is too precious. He is too, too precious. We know that the Lord Jesus died in our place. And we looked also that in our first night, we looked at how in our second reading, or sorry, our, pardon me, our first reading in Exodus 27 and verse 1, we looked at the four-square altar that was in the tabernacle. The four-square altar that was in the tabernacle. And we looked at the measurements of it. The measurements of four, meaning uh, uh, creation, you know the four points of the compass, north, south, east, west. Spring, summer, autumn, winter. You know the fours. And the number four gives the idea of creation. Man was created and so on. Four, four, four. It's all to do with creation and God's works of his hands. And we looked in at number five where there was five cubits mentioned in it. And the number five is, is four plus one. There's one is our Lord is one Lord. Four is the number of creation. Our Lord's hand, our, our God put upon fallen creation, getting involved is a number five, the number of grace. Here is God's grace in the number five. We looked at the number three, speaking of length by breadth by depth, which gives the idea of solidity, something that is solid, something that is purposeful, and something that is meaningful. In other words, God didn't come to see if he could save someone. And God didn't send his son just to see if someone would accept him. God came with a plan and a purpose in mind to save me. 
And he would never fail. He could never fail to save your soul. I'm getting excited. I'm going to have to watch myself here. How can you not when you're around the cross of Christ? Notice this, but Notice this. Let's go to another one because you'll have to get a, a CD of that. Exodus 28, please. Exodus 28. Verse 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16. And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work after the work of the ephod. Thou shalt make it of gold, of blue, of purple, of scarlet, and of fine twine linen. Thou shalt make it. Four square it shall be. Four square it shall be. Being doubled, a span shall be the length thereof. The span shall be the breadth thereof. Four square breastplate. The high priest going in before God once a year with shed blood upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And so here's the mercy seat. Here's the Ark of the Covenant. Here's the mercy seat. The blood sprinkled upon it and the glory of God comes down. And upon the priest has a breastplate on here. And it's called the breastplate of judgment with 12 stones named on them the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, you and I were under the judgment of God. Under the wrath of God. And if you're not in Christ, you're still under the judgment of God and still under the wrath of God. But look, Christian, see if you're a true believer, born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood. I have something to tell you. God's not angry with you anymore. All of his wrath was poured out on Calvary's cross. Bless the name of Jesus. And all the wrath of God and all the payment that we owed was all put upon his son. That great altar on Golgotha's hill. And if you think you can get to glory and enter the kingdom of God in any other means, method, or way other than the cross of Christ and his blood, then why did Jesus need to die? How precious is the Son of God to his Father that he sent him even to die for you? Listen to this. This breastplate of judgment on the high priest's breast, it meant it was close to his heart. Give the idea that when he went in, judgment was close to his heart and the names of God's people was close to his heart. And he went and he, he, he ministered before the Lord and he, he, gave, uh, he paid for his own sins. Now Christ had no sins of his own, but he, he, he then paid for the uh, shed blood and sprinkled the blood for the sins of the people. But he said it and he prayed as though their sins were his sins. In other words, uh, he, he, he meant it from his heart that what he was doing was true, was honest, was just before God. And through our Lord Jesus Christ, did he not keep us close to his heart? And did he not bear us upon himself? And does he not stand for us, the old Wesleyan hymn? There for me the Savior stands. He shows his wounds and spreads his hands. God is love, I know, I feel. Jesus lives and loves me still. Here he stands and he prays for me as though my sins were his. And he shows the wounds of Calvary's cross. And I'm no longer under wrath. And I'm no longer under judgment. Oh, but I'm justified in his sight. I'm righteous before the Father. Because I am anything special? No, I could say with Paul that I was the chiefest of all sinners. I could say it easily. 
No. Saved by grace alone. By grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works. Lest any man should boast. This breastplate was four square. And notice there's four colors. Four colors. Gold, blue, purple, scarlet. Gold, blue, purple, scarlet. There was a fine twine linen which was a white color which gives the idea of the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. Do you know many believe they wore uh, that white linen, all completely white? Do you know why? Because they believed in the glory of God, that that light shining upon that Ark of the Covenant, it was a reflective purpose to stop the man being consumed by his glory. It was like a radioactive or an anti-radioactive vest he was wearing. And do you know the only thing that's going to stop you and I being destroyed from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power is being robed in white in the righteousness of Christ. He will consume us with his wrath if it were not for the righteousness of Christ. Thank God I am covered over with the robe of righteousness my Father gave to me. Who knows that course? I'm not going to do a solo. Oh, Mark does. Daniel does. You two can sing it later, would you? <laughs> I am covered over with the precious blood of Jesus, and he lives in me. Oh, what joy it is to know my heavenly Father loves me so and gave to me my Jesus. Oh, when he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. Hallelujah. A wonderful Savior. Yes, He is the Savior. He is the healer. He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And He is our soon coming King. Oh, bless His holy name and praise Him forever. These four colors, gold speaks of His deity. Yes, He is Almighty God. He's nothing short of it. And He's not just a sort of it. He is all of it. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Calvary's cross on that altar of Golgotha's hill. When I see him with the eye of faith, I see the God of heaven hanging on a cross for me. Gold speaks of deity. It also speaks of purified faith. Your faith is tried like Gold is tried in the fire. Your faith shall come out like gold, we're told. See, God's working in us, purifies us, and makes us to be more like him. Not God makes us to be more like his son. Blue speaks of the heavenly skies. Blue speaks of the Holy Ghost. You see, the blue... Uh, it, gives, it gives the idea that when you look at the sky, it gives the idea that God is everywhere. <laughs> I dare you to go out tomorrow and look at the sky and see if there is none. It may be a different color. It may not be blue. It may be clouded over, but the sky is there. No matter where you go on this planet, the sky is there. You know, when you go to a pleasant climate and the sun is shining in its brightness and the skies are a beautiful blue and the sea is blue. The sea isn't blue. 
The sea is clear water. When you lift it up, it's clear. It's not blue water. But the sky is reflected on the sea. That's why when it's cloudy, it's dark sea. looks like black sea. But when the sky is blue, the sea looks blue and so inviting. And the blue gives us the idea that God is omnipresent, that God is omnipotent, that God is omniscient, that our God is everywhere and he is in control, that he is God our healer. That's why the blue is there. And it's the blue sky where Christ will return with power and great glory. See, the blue blue was on the fringe, Numbers 15, 38 to about 41, the high priest's garment. And it was the finished work of it. And many believe it was that woman who crawled through the crowd and couldn't get near him for the press, maybe on hand and foot, or knees, on her knees, and stretched forth and had the issue of blood and grabbed hold of the hem of his garment, the blue she was healed by the power of God. Blue speaks of healing. And purple speaks of royalty, kingship, and majesty. And scarlet speaks of blood atonement. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all our sin. Notice the primary colors of red and blue, the blood and the Holy Ghost, the omnipotent God, knows, or when you combine them and infuse them together, what color does red and blue make? Purple. He is our king. Purple speaks of majesty. Purple speaks of his royalty. King of kings and Lord of lords at the coming of Christ. So, I have somewhat to tell you. Why is it there? Look at the time. Can I have another 10 minutes? Is that all right? Everybody all right for 10 minutes? Good. Next week, I'm going to do another week in this, God willing. Here we have the colors on this, and it means healing for blue, and deity for gold. Royalty for purple and blood atonement for red or scarlet. Do you know whenever we think of the altar of the cross, in many terms and in many ways, the altar of God's cross or Christ's cross has been devalued and the stones have been lifted out, not only in our nation, but in the church where we can believe he is saviour and we can believe he is a soon coming king. Oh, we can believe that. There may be different angles to look at his, his atonement or even uh, there may be other angles to look at, at his coming again. But we can believe that generally. But, you know, to believe that in the Holy Ghost... And to believe in his miraculous healing ministry still in the church today, it goes a little step too far for many. Systematically started to take the stones away. We're left with a broken down altar. We need to repair this again. To heal it will bring healing to our nation.
To heal it will bring healing to the church. Listen, to heal that will bring healing to our walk with God. There's so much in this that let me just look at the healing scriptures for a moment and we'll round it up and I'll do a bit more on saving because there's a wonderful name. I want to show you the name of salvation being the name of Jesus in the Old Testament maybe next week. But let's look just for a moment at Jesus the healer. In Exodus 15 and verse 26, the Lord says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Also it can be termed, I am the Lord that keepeth thee in health. In Psalm 103 and verse 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits or any of his benefits. Notice what it says in verse 3, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Listen to Psalm 147 in verse 3. He healeth the brokenhearted and bindeth up their wounds. Now I see the word healeth in every verse there. It's the same word where it means Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah repaired the altar. Elijah, Rapha, he brought healing to the altar, believing that healing would come to the nation, that healing would be of sin and a making whole, a making well from every sickness and disease. And every word, I am the Lord that healeth thee, who healeth all thy diseases, he healeth the brokenhearted and bindeth up the wounds. All three instances are just examples that mean the exact same as repair. It means the exact same. It is the word Rapha. Listen, Isaiah 53 and verse 5, we could quote it with all our hearts. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Notice that. With his stripes, we are healed. And every one of us can say amen and amen. Christ came to forgive us of our sin. But listen to this. The word here, with his stripes, we are healed. Is, the word stripes is the word kabura. Kabura. And it means with his hurt, through his wounds, through his bruising and his beating. Gives the idea that it's just not a stripe or a, or a whiplash and a whiplash and another whiplash and 39 whiplashes. It gives the idea that all of them came into a bloody mass on his back. A pulp upon his back. It says, now see that. That's what heals our nation and our people and our loved ones and our lands. He paid it all. That's what it means, brother. That's what it means. People tell you, well, it's just for sin. Let me go a little further. The word kabura also means with his blueness. <laughs> Listen, that's what it means. By his blueness, we are healed. See the word blueness? Listen to what the scripture says about the exact same word for blueness. Proverbs 20 and verse 30. By the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil 
so do stripes the inward part of the belly, the inward part of the man and woman who need to be forgiven and cleansed from their sin. And the blueness of a wound, he says, that is for the healing of the body. That's the word of God. That's not my word. Now listen to this. Peter says, Peter says, by his stripes, 1 Peter 2 and 24 tells, by his stripes ye were post-Calvary. Ye were healed. Now, the, the word here for blueness gives the idea to mend something, to fix something, to put something together that's been ripped apart or torn down. If you get a garment and you rip it by accident, you get the needle and thread out and you start to sew it. And it pulls together. That's where you get the word blueness. And by the blueness of the wound is when all infection has been cast away and evil, as the scripture says, Proverbs 20, when there's no infection, the blueness is the healing of the wound by his blueness. Blue is on the breastplate of judgment. And when you're looking at the sky that's reflected on the ground, it reminds me of what our Lord said. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Listen. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the blue sky that represents the heavens and the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient power and person of Almighty God should be reflected in everything in our national and individual lives. On earth, as it is in heaven. How many sick people do you read about in heaven? How many tears of hurt do you read about in heaven? How much pain and death is there in heaven? And do you see when Christ returns, this will be in its fullness, in its completeness. I'll finish with these couple of verses. Acts chapter 9, Peter's at Lydia, or Lydia and he meets Aeneas and it says, who kept his bed eight years. Here's a man lying in his bed for eight years and was sick of the palsy. Verse 34. And Peter said unto Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. See the term here, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. It's the same word Peter uses by his stripes of your heel. It means you're made whole. You're forgiven of your sins. Your body is healed. I get up and serve the Lord. Last one. Matthew 8, the Lord Jesus is healing everyone. And we're told that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, that is the prophet Isaiah. Matthew 8 and 17. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So it's not just for sin. It's to make you whole. It's to make you well. It's to heal you when you need healing. Jesus paid it all. 
I mean all. Not all, but left some, but left another option open. Jesus paid it all. The altar must be built. I've had quite a few experiences um, of the Lord doing miraculous healing. Remember, I was in Dublin. And I went to preach at this Filipino church. It's actually a sports hall, but they used it as a church building. And there was an Irish woman there. And they asked me to come. He said, so I'm speaking and preaching away about Jesus and bringing a word to them. And I, I, they said, would you pray for some people? And I came down to pray. And some of the Filipinos were coming up. But this woman, this Irish woman, was shaking violently. I mean violently. I'd never met the one before in my life. She was shaking violently. And there was another two Irish women holding on to her shoulders, sitting in the back seat. Another two on her hands. And she couldn't stop. She, I couldn't even explain to you how this woman, not just tramming, I mean throwing them nearly everywhere. And I came down and this voice came out of her. It was like a deep man's voice. Can this Jesus do anything for me? Can you help me? Something like that. Wow. What do you do? And all I could think was stand up. And they were holding her. And she was throwing them. Almost throwing them off. And they were holding her. And I didn't know what to do. And I went up to her ear. I says, did you hear the gospel? She nods her head, yes. Did you hear of Jesus? Yes. I says, he's the same. She nods her head, yes. Her eyes were like pools of black water. She was demonic. And her friend says, doctors, nobody can help her. Giving her everything to try. I says, well, you've come to the right person. Not me, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this woman was throwing about, and there's four or five, maybe six of them holding her. Never forget it. And I walked over, and I, I didn't realize I was still mic'd up. I thought it was off. And I held my hands out with my palms up, and I says, put your hands in mine. And she couldn't. She was all over the place. And I grabbed hold of her hands like she was palm down, and I was palm up. Grabbed her fingers to finger. And I was moving in all over the place, you know. And we're all holding her. And I said, here, look, I'm going to worship him. And he's going to change your life if you worship him. And the musicians started to play. And as the musicians started to play, I just sensed the spirit of God and I raised my hands up and I was being thrown all over the place. And I closed my eyes and I worshipped and I worshipped and I prayed the name of Jesus and I praised him. And suddenly, the woman stopped moving, stopped shaking. She had her hands in the air and I let go of her and she was totally still. And I just moved everybody out of the road. Just get out of the way. Everybody stand back. And she didn't even realize it. Her eyes were closed and she started in a woman's voice calling on the name of Jesus. See, Jesus came in and the devil left her. And the Filipinos, when they saw it, 
the woman opened her eyes and she was shocked. <gasps> and she nearly went into a shock. I went, don't, don't be shocked. Just keep worshiping. It's okay. She just kept praising the name of Jesus. And the Filipinos actually started doing literal cartwheels up and down the eyes. <laughs> Running up around the stage and they were whooping like Red Indians and everything. So they were. I never forget it in my life. And we stood in worship for over an hour. And I had another meeting to go to. I'd already taken a morning meeting. That was an afternoon one. And I went to leave. And the woman came the next week with the woman perfectly whole. And you know what she says? Oh, since I've met Jesus. Never been the same. And that keep you, but we went to pray for a woman, a lady. She was cancer here in her face. Me and Mark Anderson and Daniel Ramsey had asked us to come to see this person. I'm not mentioning the person, and he had an old friend with him. We all went to their living, this person's living room and we we're praying. So then Mark gets down on his knees before her and he's praying away. And after the prayer, there's nothing outstanding and no flashes of light, and there was nothing to do with us, but we just prayed, done as we were told, and we're sitting there, and I saw this look in Mark's face. And this woman says, we'd like a cup of tea. And uh, I looked at Mark's face, and I thought, is he okay? We went out of this, isn't this right? We went out, we, we made our excuse. I said, no, it's okay. What's wrong with him? And we went out into the street and walked up towards his car. Now, you know Mark likes his car. He said to me, he looked at me, he was white, soaking with sweat. His shirt was stuck to him. And he was holding on to the side of the car with his legs buckling like this. He says, could you drive me home? <laughs> God touched him. Listen, that woman went and got the all clear. There's nothing there. Is that right, Daniel? Is that right? He's the same. He's the same. He's the same. And you know, he still saves sinners. still safe. Alison drastically ill with me, my own wife. I prayed for her, anointed her with oil, and I laid hands on her and brought her to healing service after healing service after healing service. Nothing was happening. I was getting so distraught and I says, Lord, what is happening here? Lord, wh- why are you not healing my wife? What is going on? Lord? And, and she used to just stand there, drench in sweat, shake her like a leaf, fear come on her face and away she went. I seen times when I was actually feeding her with her with a spoon to get some sugar into her system because she couldn't even pick herself up. Usually cornflakes and a bit of milk. She couldn't move. She couldn't. Couldn't lift her hand to her mouth. But I'll tell you this, she never missed a meeting. Not one. Now there's quite a few meetings I had to actually carry her out with a thousand people there. Because she just went out. But she was determined to be in God's house every single meeting. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, twice on a Sunday. And she did pass out in quite a few, but we got you there. And she, she went to bed to get there that night. And here's what I'm getting at. She was so ill with it. We tried everything. Brought her to healing services. Nothing was happening. One Sunday morning, Pastor McConnell it was, says, I feel down the Lord's table here to say, the Lord's going to heal someone. Stand up. How many times do you stand up, Lord? 
how long do we pray about this, Lord? So she stands up, and being the big church it was, many stood up. There's no one around her where she was sitting. No one, no one. No one touched her, no one prayed for her, no one laid hands on her. And we started singing, Be still and know that I am God. I am the Lord that healeth thee. And we come out and Alison was always very reserved. She's sort of been thrown into the midst of many things since we've come to Donna Colony, but she was very reserved. She never really said too much and cutting a long story short. Three days later, pastor says, come back, don't come there and say, Lord's touched you. We want verification. Just go away and find out first and let the Lord do his work. Come back in three days and see me and Three days, she kept the promise of God. She felt like a hand had touched her in the meeting, sovereignly. She went away and she came back again. She says to me, Ken, the Lord has touched me. I said, well, no one was near you. She says, the Lord has touched me. We used to always talk about going up to the top of the cave hill in Belfast from where we lived. She couldn't even make it hardly down the lift, never mind up the cave hill. And she says one day, Lord, if you've healed me, you do all things well, I want to go to the cave hill. I'm going to walk it. So she comes to me and she says, Ken, I want to walk to the top of the cave hill. And me, knowing the way she was, I thought, hmm. <laughs> but not wanting to pull her down in faith to diminish that which God had put in her heart, I says, okay, love, let's go. And you know what? She made it right to the top. And I had to carry her down nearly. <laughs> but anybody would know. She did make it up and down again. You know what I'm trying to say to you? Do you see this book? See what Christ has done for us. We need to repair the altar of the four square gospel. That Jesus is still the savior of souls. That he is the healer. That he is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. And you know what? He's coming. He's the soon coming king. That'll be what changes our nation. Changes our assembly. Changes your life. It's all done in the blood of Jesus. It's all in his blood. God bless you. Time's way past flowing. You have listened to me for quite a while. But sure isn't the Lord here? Gary, Julie, it is as we close. God bless you. Thank you for your attention and...